Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you so much for listening to KPCG Radio. You can listen online anytime at kpcg.fm. How many problems in the world today would be solved by real manliness? Every single day that goes by, I ask myself this question. Things pop up in the news. I see certain videos. And I just wonder, would this really be an issue if we were not experiencing a severe lack of real men? For example, I just saw a video of a man so-called man wandering back and forth in a parking lot in between the gas pumps and the gas station. When a woman got out of her car to walk from the gas pump to the gas station, this man, so-called, snuck up behind her, grabbed her and threw her to the ground and took her possessions Is that manly? Was that so-called man raised by a real man? You could apply this principle to pretty much any crime. Any time where somebody abuses and harms somebody else for his own gain... It's because of a lack of manhood. Real men protect. They sacrifice for others. They don't trample others to get what they want. Isaiah 3 actually warns that we would be experiencing a crisis in manhood in this end time. Isaiah 3 verse 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead you cause you to err, and destroy the way of your paths. The men aren't even mentioned here. That is the core of the problem. When men are absent, The children take charge. The women have to step up into that leadership vacuum. This verse talks about leaders, so-called, who lead us down the wrong path and destroy us. That's not manly. That's not true masculinity. We have an outstanding book available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. And it's just simply titled Child Rearing with Vision. 
Chapter two is titled Fathers Rule the Family Well. We're being told rule the family well. That's our job. And it's a job that takes a ton of sacrifice. It is not a job for the selfish and the lazy. And perhaps that is why so many people choose to avoid marriage and family for as long as possible these days. They simply don't want the responsibility. They don't want to lead. Even though that's what men were made to do. Here's what the Bible commands about the husband's role in a marriage. Ephesians 5, and let's see, I wanted to read verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus Christ died for us. He sacrificed himself so that all of us might become a part of the church, or you could say the family of God. He was willing to die for every single human being. And that's the same type of love that a husband must have for his wife. This, this role of a husband to love is really all-encompassing. It means being available to fulfill your wife's physical, mental, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. When it comes to raising children, you have to sacrifice for them too. Spend money on them that maybe you wanted to spend on yourself to give them more, to give them a better life than you've experienced. And above all, the role of the man in a family is to rule. God set that up. That's the way God designed family. And who are we to say we know better? 1 Timothy 3 gives the qualifications for a minister and really any leading man, any real man needs to fulfill this qualification in 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. One that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all Gravity, or it could mean reverence. Children who deeply respect and properly fear and consistently, immediately obey their father. God gives us specific ways, biblical principles for raising children this way. Children who don't cause problems, who don't grow up to be a menace in society and assault women in a gas station parking lot. 
real men make decisions on behalf of their family so that the government doesn't make those decisions. Would the government really be involved in how we protect our own families if there wasn't a crisis in masculinity? If there wasn't a severe lack of real men out there? If every family were patterned after God's way, then the man would be in charge and he'd say, I am going to decide how my family stays safe during a so-called pandemic. I don't need the government that doesn't care about any of us to make that decision. But sadly, we have a lot of cowardly, fearful people who are not men, who were not raised by men, and they somehow control what the rest of us do. That's only possible because there aren't enough real men. There are real dangers out there. A virus is a real thing to consider and make decisions based on. But a real man would not tell his family to stay inside for a year and a half. To venture outside only if triple masked. To vaccinate, to get vaccinated just for his own peace of mind. That's one of the sick parts of our society now. We do things to children that are horrific just for our own so-called supposed benefit. For example, abortion, murdering a child for our own convenience, for our own faulty, shallow excuses to pursue a career to escape commitment and responsibility. The same people telling us they care about our health and that's why they're oppressing us are also totally fine with abortion. A real man hates that and would never allow that. What about these vaccines where children are practically completely unaffected by the virus and yet we insist on vaccinating them to keep everyone else around them safe? Are we not responsible for protecting them? It's not the child's responsibility to protect everybody else. We should be sacrificing to protect them. It's exactly opposite in society now. And a real man is infuriated by what is going on. Here in Child Rearing with Vision... On page 27, it says the building block of the nation is the family. The family is also 
the building block of God's church. So what happens when men are absent and women are forced to lead? As Isaiah 3 says, the children oppress. And anyone who has a family knows that children automatically have more of the right kind of fear for the father. The father possesses the lion's roar. And children don't test that. Children will be a little bit more willing to test the mother, to try to manipulate her emotions and her tenderness and try to negotiate with the mother. But a family is not a democracy. Children don't get a vote. The father's job is to rule with love, but to rule, to set standards, to set boundaries, to be backed up wholeheartedly by his wife in that. And the children, though they might not realize it, love those boundaries. They love knowing what is expected of them and striving for a higher standard. In an article titled, Where This Breakdown in Family Life is Taking Us, the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong wrote, and this is in the Good News of August 1985, the kingdom of God starts with a family relationship. First, the physical human families. Second, the one compacted together church. And finally, when the church has changed to immortality, the God family, which is the kingdom of God. So you see how important this is? To have real men, to build real, strong families that build strong nations and a strong church and ultimately a strong family of God and kingdom of God. This is not just a here and now solution. Masculinity does not just eradicate the majority of the problems we're dealing with in society today, but it also sets us up for a much better future. We need real men. We are suffering because we don't have enough of them. Here's what it says on page 29 of Child Rearing with Vision. And this is going back to that qualification for a leading man of 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4 talks about fathers rule the family well. Page 29 of Child Rearing with Vision. Notice what God emphasizes in this list of prerequisites for a leading man in his church and his role within his family. God could have inspired the Apostle Paul to write, one that provides for his family, sacrifices for his family, spends time with his family, teaches his family, and loves his family well. But that is not what God emphasized. He emphasized that this man must be ruling his family. For fathers in God's church, the main goal in the home is to rule the family well and to bring our children into subjection. Perhaps you never thought of it that way. 
I wouldn't have thought of it this way without this understanding that is built on Bible principles. God thinks a certain way, and we tend to think differently. And we need to learn to think like God does. God established the Father to be the head of the household and to rule more than anything else. All that other stuff is important too. Loving, spending time, being emotionally available, providing, sacrificing. That's all great. But above all is ruling. We see all around us what happens when the Father doesn't rule, when he doesn't assert himself as the rightful leader of his household. Page 32 says, How do you protect them from harm? Speaking of your children. You have to rule. You have to exercise your God-given authority to restrain your children in order to protect them. Do we see restraint in the way people behave today? Every day I come across another video of some violent altercation in the streets. It's not something I'm looking for, but it just happens all the time, and it's reported on in the news all the time. People who cannot control themselves emotionally and who think that's the way to settle it. Violence. People who burn our cities to the ground and get away with it because of government corruption. Those people were never restrained growing up. They were never taught. They were never corrected when they decided to act based on out-of-control emotion. Where were the men to raise those children right? This chapter of Child Rearing with Vision, again, available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, gives examples of King David with his son, well, Absalom and Adonijah, but it says how David never spoke up to check his son. Sometimes a father has to confront if children are going off track, they have to be confronted. We can't be afraid of that. We don't want to curse the society around us by failing to confront our children. Page 35 is talking about the example of Eli the high priest and his rogue sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Page 35, this father didn't have the courage to stand up to his sons not when they were growing up, and not even when they were disdaining their father, neglecting their duties, abusing their power, robbing their brethren, sexually abusing women, and corrupting the worship of God that they and their father were supposed to be upholding. This is where lack of restraint can lead. And ultimately... That is the reason why God decided to slay them in battle. Lack of restraint often does lead to death. And it's the man's fault when the children are not restrained. When they have no limits on technology use, for example, or the people they spend the most time with. 
the influences that infect their minds. When a father fails in this area, it's his fault when his children become criminals or become bums dependent on the government or even end up dying because of stupid decision-making. Page 42. This is speaking about Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry. Page 42. Mr. Flurry has said that the greatest weakness of parents in God's church is being too permissive. This means that parents need to make sure the boundaries are clearly drawn and firmly enforced. Sure, maybe our children will think we're not cool, but we end up saving them in the long term. Notice here, page 43. Compulsion can accomplish some things, especially when you're raising young children. But you cannot compel a child to ultimately love God and be born into his family. God does not compel us. He lets us choose. Your training, teaching, and love must aim to teach the child to ultimately obey God, not from compulsion, but from willing, loving submission. So especially when the children are young, especially when their personality is still being developed, generally up until age seven, they need to learn quick, unquestioning, happy obedience. And then we can teach them how to think for themselves. But just, just consider how difficult it is to teach children who have never been taught how to sit still or to be quiet. You can't teach them about their purpose and potential. You can't give them a basic education at home or at school because they don't pay any attention and they don't care. And they've never been disciplined to take their education seriously. So that discipline, starting from a young age, administered primarily by the father, backed up by the mother, is what allows them to make the most of their education. That's how children going into high school and college will have already developed good study habits. They'll be able to focus on important things and accomplish their tasks because they've been taught obedience from a young age. They're going to excel more in school and in life because of the discipline imposed by the father from a very young age. That's just how it works. And we can teach them so much more about God and our relationship with God once our children are already disciplined and under control. I just have one example here. This is just one analogy from nature that really does reinforce what I'm talking about today. And I'm not going to claim that I should be receiving any credit for this because this was actually from the host of Live By Every Word, Mr. Dwight Falk. Years ago in Spokesman Club, he gave an outstanding speech. 
equating a man in his family as a doorhead ant. Now, I will explain that to you. <laughs> Don't worry. So like I've mentioned, the father has to rule his household. He has to protect. He has to set the standard for the children, for the wife. And notice this about the doorhead ant. I have an article here that says how these doorhead ants seem to be gluttons for punishment. These ants live inside of wood, like a branch. They'll dig inside and they'll establish their colony inside. But the doorhead ant, particularly the protector of the colony, has a head, the top of which is shaped like perhaps a nail, a flat surface where you pound the nail with a hammer. And so once the ants are all safe inside the wood, that one leader, that soldier ant, plugs the hole into the colony with his head. His head is the perfect size to plug the hole. And here's a quote from the scientist. The soldiers have chunks bitten out of the rim of their head discs. Things have been biting at them and chewing at them and trying to get a purchase to yank them out. They bear the scars of this job of sticking their head in the hole all day long. So that's the kind of sacrifice and protection that a doorhead ant provides to his colony within the wood. And it's the same for a father, for a husband, for a leader, a masculine man. He has to be the one taking the hits for his family to shelter and protect his own family, to sacrifice for them. This selfish society is only possible because of a lack of men. That's why we're fearful. That's why we're afraid of a virus. Because of a lack of men. Real men protect and sacrifice. They love. They set standards and boundaries. And above all, they rule well. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.